Today's sermon text is John 17, verses 20 to 26. You can find that on page 903 in the Bibles, on the chair in front of you. And for context, this is Jesus praying for his disciples and consequently also us right before he goes to the cross. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made them, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Let me invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We are in a four-week series on elevating church, and this is the second message in that series. And all four of the messages focus on Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 16. However, before we go any farther, uh, let me pray um, so that we have uh, God at work and that we would be uh, wanting his spirit to direct our thinking and the words that I say. So let's pray. Father, first of all, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you for your son. Thank you for the words that we've sung that remind us of great truth from the scriptures and your goodness to us and your desires for us. So we thank you for that. Father, we pray that uh, you would give each of us wisdom, give me wisdom as I communicate truth, give the listeners wisdom to understand it and to apply it. I also pray that you'd give me clarity and that I would speak only truth. Father, I'm just a vessel I want you to be lifted up. I want you to be receiving the glory. So, Father, we all need to be taught. I need to be taught. Everyone here needs to be taught. Some of us need to be reproved by your spirit, and I pray that your spirit would do that work. Father, some of us also need to be corrected by your spirit. And so, where correction is needed in our thinking, in our attitudes, in our behaviors, in our words, I pray that you would be the one that does the correcting. And finally, Father, we want to be instructed in righteousness. 
for your name's sake, for your glory. Um, and so I pray that you would instruct us in righteousness and help your word to be clear and practical and useful. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 11, which is where Jeremy uh, took us last week, it says, and he gave the apostles, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. And then the next verse starts with until. <clears throat> so there's something that needs to happen, and there is a process, a, a, a growth that's associated with the words that Paul then communicates to the church at Ephesus. So we elevate church by being transformed together. I don't know if you noticed it in this morning's worship songs, but there was quite a bit here about being together, loving one another, being unified under the truth of the gospel. So once again, Anuk and those that are involved in selecting and preparing for worship are mindful of the importance of God's truth being communicated when we are together. And that includes when we sing uh, to the Lord in worship, but also as we sing to one another. Now I want to just briefly summarize last week's message for those of you that weren't here and did not have the opportunity to hear it. Um, Pastor Jeremy, when he looked at this passage said we evaluate church by gladly receiving Jesus' gifts to the church. So it's, it's a shame if we don't gladly receive what God gives us. It's kind of a, you know, if you give a gift to a child, to a son or a daughter, or to a grandchild and they reject the gift, that, that would break your heart. So obviously as grandparents, we, we work at making sure that the gift is something that the grandchildren would appreciate. God works at giving us gifts that are very good. He doesn't sacrifice in the cost or the value of the gifts that he gives. Uh, Pastor Jeremy also said that the gifts in this passage are not represented as skills but as people. We often think of gifts in terms of things or maybe skills, spiritual gifts, but the gifts that are focused on in this passage are people, individuals, that God has given the church. And so Jeremy rightly said, I'm the gift of God to Memorial Baptist Church. And we should view him that way. In fact, if we respond poorly to the gift, we are actually saying something to the Father about his wisdom in giving us Pastor Jeremy as the gift. And the gifts have a purchase, purpose. The gifts, gifts are to equip the saints and to build up the church. He then gave us eight functions of the people gifts. So Jeremy listed eight functions. You can watch that on YouTube. You can review that message if you did not see it. But all of them are focused on caring for the flock. In other words, it's a unity. It's a, a group of people that are being ministered to. And the encouragement is to follow our leaders in the way that the leaders follow the good shepherd. So... You know, we should follow Jeremy 
as our pastor, the under shepherd, in the same way that he follows Jesus. And is he fallible? Yes. Does Jeremy would be the first to admit that he is a sinner, but his desire is to follow closely after the Savior. And as he does that, we should observe that and we should follow him in the same way. Now, I want to make sure that we understand what church is. Most of you know this, so it's kind of review for most of you, but uh, I never want to assume too much of anything when I'm preaching or teaching. I've learned that assumptions can lead you down a bad path. So the church is a gathering. The church is described in the scriptures as gathering, and it's described as being together. If we look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, so just a couple of pages back, maybe one page back, it says this. And it's interesting that it says that we are actually three different things in this one passage. And all of them help us to see unity in the church. So let me read it in Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. In other words, you're no longer separated. You're no, you're no longer not fitting in. You fit in. But you are fellow citizens. So if you're a fellow citizen, you're part of the same country. You know, we're fellow, most of us are fellow citizens of the United States of America. So we as a corporate unity a group at, uh, in this country, uh, we are united as citizens. And we have responsibilities and opportunities as such. So they're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now that's pretty significant. If you're a member of somebody's household, that means you're family. So not only are you a citizen related, but you are a family related, but it doesn't end there. It goes on to say, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So now we know where the main person is. The most important person is Jesus, in whom the whole structure being joined together, so there's togetherness, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you, that's not you singular, that's you plural, all of you, are being built together into a building, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So the Spirit is doing a work to make you part of a building. So you are a citizen, you are a family member, and you are part of a building. In other words, every illustration Paul is using is, this is a together thing. This is not an individual, you know, you're not the lone ranger. Um, you're not the lone ranger even with Tonto. You are part of a bigger thing than that. Now let's just briefly consider why Jesus came. And most of you, if I were to ask you, you would quote Luke 19.10. Because Luke 19.10 is what Jesus said was the reason he came. Uh, does anybody know what Luke 19.10 says? For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Yes, for you will want to clubbers. I'm, I'm hopeful that you would recognize that verse. Perhaps that's just a bit too hard. 
Um, but he did. He, he, he identified the reason that he came. And sometimes we stop there. And I think we stop there to our own harm, to our own hurt. He certainly did come to seek and to save the lost. In fact, he says, I'm both the entry to the flock and I'm the good shepherd that leads you into being part of the flock. So it's significant that the work that he's doing is not necessarily just for individual sheep, it's for the flock. Later in John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, uh, there's a communication about oneness that Jesus makes in that passage. He says, my sheep, not just one of my sheep, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one shall snatch them from my hand and my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says he's one with the Father and he also wants us to be one because he identifies with us as his flock, as his people. But it's more than just that. Jesus talks about his followers as friends. And in order to have friends, I've discovered this in life, I've been around the planet a while, I've been around the sun several times now. Um, in order to have friends, you have to spend time with people. Yeah, this is not hard, okay? This is not a trick question. In order to have friends, you have to spend time with people. And Jesus said to all of his disciples, um, he, says, he says, he came to lay down his life for his friends. Not just for a friend, for his friends. So what Jesus is really communicating is his great love for the flock, for the church. So he came not just to seek you and to save you, he came to call you a friend and draw you together so that you would have something in common together as his friends. There is nothing, I like what Eric Watkins says, I got this from Ligonier.org. He says, Jesus came into the world because of his great love for his church. Like a husband comes to rescue his bride, or a king comes to save his people, or a shepherd comes to rescue his sheep, and Jesus is all of those, okay? He's the husband, he's the king, he's the shepherd. Just as those come to rescue, Jesus came into the world because of his great love for the sheep. There is nothing in this world that Jesus loves more than his sheep. Don't doubt it. Now, his love is great, and I don't want to just isolate it to his sheep. But I think that's an important truth that sometimes we miss. Now, I want to show you three pictures. Um, these three pictures are um, 
depending on your point of view, um, things that need to be assembled. A puzzle is a box full of little bitty pieces. My wife likes to do puzzles. Uh, she and Jason were doing a puzzle yesterday. Uh, when we go down to visit uh, Don and Melinda Yantis, they tend to do puzzles down there. The puzzle is pretty much worthless and unintelligible and pretty much not, not interesting until it's assembled. And then when it's assembled, it's like, wow, it looks like the box cover now. I'm, here's, here's my viewpoint. I'm perfectly satisfied just looking at the box cover, okay? I'm, I'm okay with the box cover. But I'll have to admit, after it's put together and I see it, I think, now that's cool. That's cool. All the pieces have been assembled. The, then there's another picture up here. It's a, it's a guy that's been hopefully given instructions on how to assemble a crib. And there's a purpose for his assembly work, okay? He's probably thinking about safety, and, and his wife told him to do it, and, and all kinds of other things, and so he's assembling the crib. And why is he assembling the crib? Well, he's assembling it. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming this, okay? I'm assuming, because I know what a crib is for. He's assembling it for a baby. And there's some assembly required in all of these. In fact, when it comes to babies, there's lots of assembly required. Disassembly, reassembly, assembly. Uh, you know, the diaper needs to be changed, so you unassemble and you reassemble, and, you, and you're doing a lot of assembly work on behalf of a little child. In fact, when I think about assembly, I often think of Legos. And here's why. Um, on, G on February 22nd, 2020, two of my grandsons, Charlie and Henry, helped me assemble this cool Porsche Lego car. And you can see that it's been assembled. It's sitting on the shelf in a place of honor right next to my, the ship's Bagley Cup. I was on the USS Bagley. And then there's another red car. I don't even remember where that came from, but I do remember where the white car came from. That was a gift from the grandsons. Now, here's why that's important. Um, I'm not the best at reading, you know, and understanding how Legos go together, but I can tell you, my grandsons know how to assemble Legos. I mean, they're the masters. About the only thing they don't do without some help is put the stickers on them, and that's where Jason comes in because he's got patience and skills like even a level higher for Legos. Now, why am I telling you this? Well, when I built the Lego car, I wasn't an expert. It built, I mean, I could have read the instructions, but it would have taken longer. Okay, it was better to have two youngsters alongside me with expertise and helping hands to help me assemble the car. And so on the next slide, you can see there's lots of pieces that come together gradually and ultimately wind up being something that's recognizable. Some assembly is required. And so I would suggest to you that when it comes to the church, some assembly is required. Now, that's a play on words, okay? Because there's two pieces to this. The first piece is that assembly means that all of the parts will be put together 
so as to be as useful as possible. And God, when he builds his church, when Christ builds his church, he brings the pieces together that he knows are the best pieces with their strengths and weaknesses and, and complexities and differences are going to make something that's good and useful as a whole. I am less useful alone than I am with my brothers and sisters in Christ together. Far less useful. But together, we become much more useful for God and his kingdom. But there's another part of assembly. Assembly also means gathering together for a common purpose. In fact, Jesus has a to-do list. And part of his to-do list is, I will build my church. In other words, I'm going to do some assembly work. But the interesting thing is he wants us to be part of the process. And that's by gathering and by working together, assembling together to do some things. Now, it's interesting. when After Peter had denied Jesus and uh, he was probably feeling devastated. In fact, we know he was. Jesus, toward the end of John's gospel, uh, meets up with Peter, who thinks he's finished. He may as well go back to fishing. This business of gathering with the other disciples, that's history. I'm not going to be useful anymore. And Jesus says to Simon Peter, and I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, uh, Simon, do you love me? And when it came right to it, you know, Simon is thinking, well, yeah, I do, but I've not shown it very well. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. And then he asks Simon again, Peter, do you love me? And Simon says, yes, Lord, I love you. And, and Jesus says, okay, if that's true, feed my sheep. And Jesus, because Peter had denied him three times, is showing him grace. And so he says, Peter, do you really love me? Do you really care? And Peter, <laughs> I imagine tears are coming to his eyes. And he says, I've not been very effective in showing my love for you recently, but I do love you, Lord. And Peter is told by Jesus, feed my sheep. That requires assembly. That requires work. That requires time together with the flock. But it's not just for Peter. It's for you and for me. Saving is definitely important to Jesus. But building his church and causing us to be part of that is very important to him. So we finally get to the main idea. Okay, This has all been groundwork. Don't become overly concerned. It's not a three-hour sermon. At least I hope not. But it's cold outside, so who wants to go back out there anyway? Raise your hand if you want to go back out. Oh, some of you do. Okay. I'll keep you in mind. Okay. I'll, I'll try not to go too, too long here. We elevate church by being transformed together. Here's the main idea. We elevate church by being disciples unified in truth, growing in the knowledge of our Savior, and becoming more like Jesus. Now, I just didn't just pull those three points out out of thin air. I thought, well, these are the three that I think these people need to hear. No, look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, 
Okay, we've been given pastors and others to teach us for a purpose until we all attain to the unity of the faith. So unity and truth. Number two, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. In other words, growing in the knowledge of our Savior. And number three, maturity. So we are to become mature manhood or womanhood, personhood, because of who Christ is. We are to measure up to the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, Jesus wants you and me to be like him. Now that's going to take some time, and that's where being together is very helpful and very useful. So there are three points in today's lesson. The first is this. We're going to talk about the unity of the faith, and it's based on God's word. The second is knowledge of the Savior. Why is that important? What is that going to do for this whole thing of some assembly required? And then thirdly, maturity is imaging God well. So let's look first of all at unity of the faith. Now, I'm going to read a lot of scripture, and you're not going to be able to turn fast enough to get there. But I think I put all the references in the outline. And sometimes I think it's just best for me to read a passage and give you some words to hang your hat on. So maybe you want to jot just the words next to the reference, okay? So why did I want you to look at this verse? Why did I pick this verse? I hope I can help you with that. Um, Number one, unity is not based on what, what Wayne thinks or Wayne's opinion. Because we would not have unity if it was based on what I think or my opinion. Nor would we have unity if it was based on what Rob thinks or Rob's opinions. Or pick any person in this room. If anybody in this room, it was entirely not based on God's truth. Now, I'm not saying you don't have God's truth. But it was entirely based on my opinion, my whims, my my fancy thinking. Um, We're not going to have unity. In fact, we're probably going to have disagreement, and then it's going to get worse. So it has to be based on faith, a unity of the faith, and the faith is the gospel. The gospel is the unity driving mechanism. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it says you are a knitting project. If you're a knitting project, that means that there's going to be something that looks like a finished product that's useful, okay? So those of you ladies that work making quilts and other things um, here in the church to share with others, uh, all the little pieces are kind of pretty much useless until they're knit together, sewn together, put together. So here's what it says to the church in Colossians in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, And for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Paul says, this knitting project involves love. That's very important. So, and it's for to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So it's all about Jesus. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So what does a healthy church member look like? 
On the screen, there's a picture of a book. I'm not going to pronounce the author's name because I'm going to slaughter it if I do, okay? But it's in the notes. The, the title of the book is, What is a Healthy Church Member? By the way, I've never read anything from Nine Marks that I found less than helpful, and usually the books are very short, and they nail it, okay? So um, if you're looking for good tools for encouraging yourself and thinking biblically, Nine Marks is a good place to go. But here's what the author of this book says. As church members, our aim is to understand the gospel so deeply, so intimately, that it animates every area of our lives. Now listen to this. We want the gospel central to our communication with each other. We want it to be central to how we encourage and correct each other. We want it to be central to individual career and relationship decisions. We want it to be central to the decisions that the church makes corporately together and central to all of our habits of life. We want the gospel, the God of the gospel, to take the priority in every area of life. So order your life around the gospel because the gospel proclaims Jesus. And if you order your life around the gospel, you're ordering your life around what's important to Jesus building his church. So it's not surprising then that a healthy Christian is one who is committed to expressing this kind of love toward other Christians. And here's what the author says. And the best place for Christians to love this way is in the assembly of God's people called the local church. He, he suggests that the best way for you and the best way for me to express that love is right here together or in other situations like the ladies' night out or small group or when we're serving together in Awana, in all of those different ways, Thanksgiving dinner, preparation and serving, all of those things. That's how we express the love, by being together and working together. Now, JP read something uh, that I think is very important, and, and it's why I had that read before we began the message. Um, how many of you think, by show of hands, if J Jesus prays about something or for something or for someone, that's pretty important? How many of you think that? Okay. Some of you don't have arms that move up. I understand that. I can appreciate that. But I'm assuming most of us would agree that if Jesus prays for something, then it's probably important. Jesus doesn't pray frivolous prayers. Okay? In fact, sometimes he says to the Father, I know you hear me. But so that these people know you hear me, um, do this work. All right? So Jesus always has a reason for his prayers. So... In Ephesians chapter 5, again, in the book of Ephesians, it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So let me point out in just a couple of verses how this works out. Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. 
It talks about being members one of another. So those are the key words, members one of another. Here's what it says. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. You and I don't have the same function. So though many are one body in Christ, which pleases Christ, and individually members one of another. So you are not yourself when you are not connected to a church. If you are in Christ, then I would suggest to you that the best way to be the best version of you in Christ for the gospel is to be part of a church. If you disagree with me, let's talk after the service. Romans 12, 16. Um, if Rob was only the, the only person singing this morning and the only person playing this morning, we would have what is called solo. The church is not about solo. Rob does a fine job. But having um, Mrs. Cahill, Carol Cahill, singing as well, adds something. There's harmony. And then we've got young ladies that are playing those, those things with the keys on them, the piano, the keyboard, those things. And that makes it even richer sounding. So here's what it says in Romans 12, 16. It talks about harmony. And the only way you can have harmony is if you're together. Okay? You can't be the solo guy like Rob. You've got to be together. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. So now we're given instructions about who we should be looking for. Never be wise in your own sight. And notice also that there's a brother-sister relationship. In Romans 14, 15, it says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. So in order for us to love, that means we're concerned about other people and we want to be good examples to them. Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Apparently this is so important that Paul repeats it. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this harmony thing to God is a big deal. He wants many voices joined together, saying the same thing, singing the same thing, doing the same thing. And finally, in Philippians verse 1 or chapter 1 verse 27, Paul says there's a side-by-side part of this equation. So there's a harmony part, there's a brother part, there's a members part. But in Philippians 1.27 it says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, standing side-by-side for the faith of the gospel. So I would submit to you that Jesus says unity is pretty important and is part of him doing what he wants to do in building his church. Number two, knowledge of the Savior. We are to attain the knowledge of the Son of God. And as our knowledge of the Savior increases, our worship increases, and our desire to be more like him increases. And this is the together part of worship and service. In fact, it it talks about this all throughout Proverbs. You can't hardly read a proverb and not see together or unity 
or something like that in Proverbs. I'm not going to read all of the verses, but they're in your outline. Proverbs 18:15 says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Where do I get that? Well, I certainly get that from God's Word. I certainly get that when I hear Jeremy preach, but I also get it from you. I get that when I meet with some of you individually in small group in our triad with a couple of men that I meet with. It's not just Sunday morning. Uh, Proverbs 12, 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So there's all kinds of encouragement that knowledge is a good thing and knowledge of the Son is a very important thing. So growth in knowledge should actually result in changed lives and changing lives. In 1 Peter 2.2 it says, if you're a newborn infant, you should be desiring pure spiritual milk so that you'd grow up. So there's instruction for infants. If you're an infant in the faith, there's value in you being together with other believers. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Paul prays. Paul's prayers are also very instructive. If you just read Paul's prayers, you're going to find out that he's got prayers that are typically pretty different from Wayne's. I, I would challenge you to read his prayers. Um, his prayers are at a higher level than most of our prayers. We would benefit from reading them. So here's what he says for the church in Philippi. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So he wants that knowledge to grow their love and discernment. John says this in 2 John chapter 1, verse 9. Whoever goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So it's possible, especially if we're not connected with a local body, we can get led astray. And I've seen that far too many times. Breaks my heart. In 2 Timothy, he talks about people that are opposed to knowledge. People that fight against knowledge. That should not happen in the body of Christ. We should be eager to know the truth. We should be eager to know the Savior. We should be eager to know the Father. We should be eager to know the Word. And notice in 2 Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, it says this. For this very reason, so Peter is telling the church, here's where you should put all of your effort, or a lot of effort. Maybe not all, but a lot of it. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. We must know the Savior. And knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. And now look how this, where this leads to. There's, there's an end point in this list of attributes that are like dominoes. They hit each other. And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. So the knowledge that is talked about early on is going to fuel love. A knowledge of the Savior is going to fuel love in my life, in your life. And Peter goes on to say later on in First Peter, or Second Peter, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. 
Jesus had something to say to those that didn't want to accept his word. You don't want to hear these words from Jesus. In Mark chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus says to those who think they have all the religious answers, who got the truth, they, they got the doctrine, you know, they can quote the Old Testament. Um, they not only have those rules, they've added to them. They're really holy, righteous people. Here's what he says. Is not the reason you are wrong because you do not know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So here's what is really important. We need to have unity and we have to have knowledge of the Savior. Finally, maturity is imaging God well. And let me just suggest a couple of things. First of all, it's childlike to be imaging the Savior well, to be imaging God well. Children, for better or for worse, image their parents. They do. And they're watching other adults that are outside of their family and trying to decide, who should I image? Who should I be like? So if you're not a parent, don't think, well, I'm off the hook. Don't have to worry about the kids. No. (laughs) The kids be watching. I can tell you, when I was a boy... I certainly was paying attention to my parents, but I was also paying attention to other adults, like my Awana leaders, like my son. I learned a lot from my Sunday school teacher. I learned a lot about caring about boys in a way that was deeper than Sunday morning because Mr. Martin had me over to his house with other boys because he was cool. Now, he was a single guy. He was always single, never married, I think when I first became a student in his Sunday school class, he was really ancient. He was probably in his late 50s. I mean, he was really, he was a dinosaur. But he was really cool because back in the day, you know, this is back in the dark ages of technology, he had a short wave radio set in a trailer in his backyard with an antenna that shot up to the stars. And he could talk to anybody around the world. And we just love spending time with him because he cared about us enough to make it more than just his Sunday morning job. He wanted to minister to us every day of the week. So we are to be childlike, not childish, mature in Christ. We are to have the attributes of the Lord's servant, and we are to be teachers. When I read that, I thought, whoa, I don't think people are going to like that. That seems a bit too much. But let's face it, maturity looks like Jesus. That's what maturity looks like. Maturity looks like Jesus. Maturity looks like God's love. Notice the people that Jesus was friends with to get a sense as to what that love looks like. Jesus stopped under a tree to speak to a tax collector. Gasp. Talk about a bad choice for an interaction with somebody in society. That guy was corrupt. And he knew it. He, he knew something was wrong. But that's not all. Jesus talked to an immoral woman and asked her for water at a well in a city close, well, in Samaria. 
gasp. The disciples were just flabbergasted by that. That's just like, that's a bad idea. Just going through Samaria is a bad idea. That's like craziness. Don't do that. Nobody that's like you, teacher, goes through Samaria. Gasp. Oh, and Jesus touched lepers. Now, talk about not a good idea in their society. That's not a good idea. But you see the kind of love that Jesus had? That's the kind of love that he desires for you and me to have. Now, I'm not going to read all of these passages. But if you read these passages, you're going to see some things. So next to 1 Corinthians 14.20, jot down mature thinking. If you are growing in your closeness to and maturity to be like Christ, there will be mature thinking. Colossians 1.28, you will be mature in Christ. In fact, Paul says, I want to present everyone mature in Christ. So this is not just, I just want the deacons and the elders and people over 70 to be mature in Christ. He wants everybody. Hebrews 5.14, there's a discerning maturity. Being able to figure out what's good, what's evil, what's, what, what's right, what's wrong, what's the right time to say something, what's the, when's the right time to keep my big mouth shut. There's maturity there. It also includes kindness, not quarreling. 2 Timothy 2, verses 23 through 26. And here's the tough one. So the writer of the book of Hebrews says this. It's not me, okay? I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have included this if it was me. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment raised by constant practice to discern good from evil. Now, I'm not thinking that the writer is saying everybody needs to have a Sunday school class. But I can tell you this, if you were looking around at the Bible Baptist Church of Naperville, Illinois, and you were thinking, let's find some really good teachers for the young boys' Sunday school class, Keith Martin would not have come to mind. I can just about guarantee it. He was quiet. He was different. But he was used by God in amazing ways. So don't read that and think, well, I'm not a teacher. We're all teachers. Just think about what you teach and what you're teaching. Now I want to give you an illustration that's most helpful to me. Kind of wrap this up. Evidence of maturity is this. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And the three fundamental pieces of the fruit of the, servant, of the Spirit are love, joy, and peace. So I abbreviate that LJP. That's the basics. Notice love, joy, peace. Those are all one-syllable words. Now, this is the fruit of the Spirit. So it's not just those fruit. It's the fruit as a whole. So when I think of fruit, I think of bananas, apples, or Figs, because back in Jesus' day, it was figs. So the next three letters are PKG, and that's an abbreviation in English for the word package. 
And it just so happens that the next three words are two syllables each. So if you remember PKG, it's patience, kindness, goodness. And by the way, all of these have to do with togetherness. None of these are separate. They're not just for your inner peace or your inner joy. This is for the body. And the last three are also about the body. And they're all three-syllable words. And if you remove the I, it looks like figs anyway. So it's a package of figs. That's how I remember all those fruit of the Spirit. I'm not real good at remembering all those words separately. So I remember them as a package of figs. And so the three-syllable words are faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what a mature Christian looks like to other people. Galatians 5, verses 22 through 23. So what do we do with all that? Well, we are supposed to attain to the unity of the faith. And by the way, Jesus prayed for us in that regard. That's what JP read for us. And to the knowledge of the Son of God. Jesus said, your problem is, is you haven't looked at the scriptures and seen me. You need to see me. That's why on the road to Emmaus, he spent time with those two disciples saying, see me here, see me here, see me here. They, they still didn't even know it was him. And then when they realized it, they said, whoa, he was talking about himself. And we didn't realize it at the time. And it says to be mature, to be mature manhood. In other words, we fulfill, we begin to fulfill, we don't completely fulfill Jesus' comment on the Sermon on the Mount where he says, be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect. That's my desire. I want to be more like Christ. And I trust that's your desire as well. In your outline, in your handout, there are some questions for application. What do we miss if church is only Sunday morning worship? Let me tell you, we miss a bunch. We, we miss more than a bunch. What does it mean in a practical way to be part of a flock? You're, if you're a sheep, that is, you're a follower of Christ, what does that really mean to be part of the flock? Wrestle with that. That's important. Number three, are you a teacher? Why did, why did the writer of Hebrews say, for, though by this time you ought to be teachers? Are you a teacher? What does that look like? And again, I'm not saying you've got to be a preacher or a teacher, an evangelist, but you are a teacher whether you like it or not. And I guess I'd ask you, what lessons are you teaching? And finally, are you a milk drinker or a meat eater? And by the way, how would somebody know? How would somebody know? Well, the best way to find out is to spend time with other believers, to interact with them, to be in fellowship with them. So I go back to the main idea. I hope you got it. We elevate church by being disciples together, unified in the truth, growing in the knowledge of our Savior, and becoming more like Jesus. That's how we do it.